you want to do an interesting study, you can go and if you have a study, you know, like I use Blue Letter Bible, uh, Precept, uh, Precept uh, Austin is a good one, Study Light, there's several places you can go, but do a little study on on the first day of the week. Uh, That's why we as New Testament believers worship on, we call it Sunday, I mean that's the sun god, we we worship on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. Amen? We worship on the Lord's Day. We worship on the first day of the week. Because it's the day that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. So every Lord's Day is a testimony that we believe that Jesus is alive. Why worship a dead king? Why worship a dead Savior? He's not dead. He's alive. And so... We, we call it the first day of the week, and it's what the Bible specifically says. And then later in the New Testament, it says, uh, on the Lord's Day. John the Apostle names it that as well, on the Lord's Day. So we, we don't necessarily, it is Sunday, I understand that. But it is the first day of the week, and it also is the Lord's Day. Your Bible's open to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. And I wanted to be a little bit, it's not exactly chronological this morning, but obviously when you get out of the Gospels, you, you go past the resurrection. By the way, the passage that Robbie read out of John 20 goes from the first appearance. Now, there were several, there was like five on the day, the day of resurrection. It started with the, the lady, the women, then Peter, then then he appears to two men on the road to Emmaus. Then he appears in the upper room with the disciples. Then he appears one more time. All on the first day, the first day of resurrection. Robbie read the passage where he meets and Thomas is not there. That's the, that's the Sunday. That's the first day of the week, the day of resurrection, where he appears four or five times, the passage in John. But also that same passage goes a week later. And if you'll notice, this is eight days later. Well, how the Jews... You can read it for yourself, but how the Jews counted... The days, as much like we do, today's a day. One. And then seven days after that would be the next Lord's Day. It would be the next Sunday or the, or the next first day of the week. So he met with them on the group on the first Lord's Day. And then on the second Lord's Day they had church. By the way, they had church in the morning and at night, by the way. So interesting. But So when we come to the book of Acts, this is basically after not only the resurrection, but this is after the ascension. Now, so you have what we've read this morning, just thinking chronologically, we've had the reading of the first day of the week, which we celebrated last Sunday. We've also read where seven days, eight days later, Jesus appears again. Uh, so it's week. What we're reading today is it's going to be about the ascension. Now, chronologically, this is what happened. Jesus, we're going to read it in a minute, but Jesus is resurrected from the dead. He appears, okay? He appears for 40 days and 40 nights. Off and on. Now, it's not constant. We talked about that last Sunday. But over the course of those 40 days, there's at least 10 specific references of Him appearing either to groups of people or to individuals. 10. Paul mentions most of those in 1 Corinthians 15. And remember, significantly, if you're arguing apologetics, 500 people saw Him, at least 500 people. And it could have been 500 men because that was very common to count just the men. But 500 people at one time saw Him, 
alive and well. And Paul argues, hey, go check them. They're still, most of those folks are still alive. Go ask them if they've seen Jesus resurrected from the dead. All this is to prove that Jesus was alive from the grave. So he, he made, let's just say, the Bible records ten appearances. Could have been many more, the Bible records ten. Over the course of 40 days. Then he's going to ascend. Before he ascends, he tells the apostles to stay in Jerusalem and wait and wait on the coming of the Spirit. And then 50 days after Passover is the Feast of Pentecost. So 10 days later, 40 plus 10 is 50, they celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, which is the Feast of First Fruits. Right? They celebrate Christ being resurrected from the dead. And, and so that's when He comes, the Spirit comes, and the church is born. So I want to read Acts 1, but before I read Acts 1, I want to go back to Luke chapter 24. Luke wrote, the, Dr. Luke wrote two books. That, that's the book, obviously the Gospel of Luke. Luke 24, go to Luke 24. He wrote Luke, and then he wrote the book of Acts. And I'm in uh, Luke 24, and I want to read beginning at verse uh, 45. Luke 24, beginning at verse 45. And just to let you know, if you want to roll back and, and read all of chapter 24, Luke gives several of the appearances of Jesus especially on the day of resurrection. Okay, he describes all... matter of fact, four or five of them he describes in, at the beginning of chapter 24. But I'm in Luke 24, verses 45 uh, through 49. Listen to God's Word. It says, Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. That's one of the great things that Jesus did. He taught, you know, he taught for those 40 days and... and Teaching, he opened their minds for them to understand the scriptures. By the way, what scriptures were they understanding? Were they understanding the New Testament? No, they're going to write the New Testament. They're understanding Christ in the Old Testament. So it says, and then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. By the way, the Holy Spirit does that for believers today. Isn't it interesting? Because the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. And so today the Spirit helps us understand Scripture like Christ helped them understand Scriptures. And He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And, and that repentance, and that repentance, and that repentance... Folks, we've rewritten salvation. For 30 or 40 years... The evangelical church has changed salvation to be your decision and, and you deciding that you're going to follow Jesus rather than Jesus calling you to repentance and faith in Him. This is what it says. And the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So in a minute, Jesus ascends. They're going to stay in the city of Jerusalem for ten more days. Because at the Feast of Pentecost, ten days after His ascension, the Spirit's going to come and He's going to empower the believers. Now I'm in the book of Acts. 
If you don't mind, I'm going to read a good portion beginning in Acts 1.1. It says, In the first book, O Theophilus, that's a great word, that's a great name. That's who he wrote the Gospel of Luke to, it says. Theophilus is lover of God. Theos is God. Philos is love. Isn't that interesting? So this, this guy's name, or it could be a title, lover of God. I like that. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, that's a very important verse because it's telling us that there's something, and you've heard me say this a dozen times, it's, there's something Jesus started that He did not finish. Hence, that's why the church is called the body of Christ. Because the church, which includes you if you're saved, finishes the work He began. And it's part of our call to be in the ministry. The word ministry not being preacher in the pulpit, the word means serving the Lord. So all of us have a part of this. So, but what He did finish was the price for redemption. Correct? Correct? Because He said He did, right? He said on the cross. And it's finished. We believe that. So, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Again, that's another lesson. Well, I'm already chasing a rabbit, but that's okay. If I don't live it, I don't need to be teaching it. Do you hear me? Not that I'm perfect. I'm not asking my teachers here to be perfect. But if you don't live it, you're teaching others something than what you're verbally saying. He did it, and then He taught it. You'll find all many of the things that Jesus did um, fed 5,000 men and their families and then said, I'm the bread of life. See, He did it, and He taught it. That's what Jesus did. Brought Lazarus from the tomb said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He did it and He taught it. Folks, if you're here today, the Bible requires you to do the very same thing. You do it and you teach it. Until the day when He was taken up after He had given... By the way, what's another word for taken up? Rapture. Did you know that? Rapture. Some of you have other translations. It's not... I'll tell you this in a minute. It's interesting. By the way, He mentions... Jesus being taken up, Luke does in Acts 1, four times he mentions this. Taken up, taken up, taken up. It's a very significant event because it models something. Okay, Until the day when He was taken up, after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. By the way, Christ dictated who was going to write the New Testament. Either an apostle or a very close friend who traveled with an apostle wrote Scripture. Okay, He presented Himself, Luke's a doctor, listen to what Luke says, He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs. Some of your translations say by many infallible proofs. Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So he gave commands and he spoke about the kingdom. That's what he did during those 40 days. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. See, we're picking up on what we read. But to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, You've heard from me. 
For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now just in these five verses, here's something we've learned. When it comes to the work after Christ ascended, the Word of God and the commands of God are priority and the work of the Holy Spirit is a priority. He's mentioned both. So when they had come together, verse 6, they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now they're still thinking about an earthly kingdom now. As in that moment. Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. He had proved Himself alive. They saw Him conquer death in the grave. And they're thinking, well, He does have the power to overthrow the Roman Empire. He's God in human form. And He is going to rule on this earth. But there's an interval of at least 2,000 years called the church age. So it's not then that He's going to start ruling. But they're still thinking in a literal kingdom where, hey, as apostles, they're going to be able to, you know, they've already been arguing about this a few weeks earlier. Who's going to sit on his right and left? Who's going to be major leaders in the kingdom of Christ? Well, it's kingdom thinking, but the kingdom was not here and now. It was going to be thousands of years later after the church age. So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But you will receive the power, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, this is some of what we get to talk about on Wednesday nights right now. And and while they were gazing into heaven, okay, one of the questions we talked about Wednesday night, I know this is silly, but this is how my mind works. Jesus ascended. That's what it's describing. And He ascended out of their sight. So, you know, let's say the ceiling that day, you could see 30,000 feet. Well, He went out of their sight. Well, what's so interesting is in this glorified body, when He got that high, He didn't need to have breathing apparatus to survive. He didn't have to put on an oxygen mask. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's in His resurrected, glorified body. And so He ascends. And so this just reminds us that's going to be one of the promises to us that we can travel space and... Of course, space-time will change, but we can travel through space and breathing the air is not going to be an issue. Just interesting. You may not think that's funny and interesting, but it was to me. So, so uh, they, the men stood by them and look what it said. And while they were gazing into heaven, as He went, behold... Now, some translations say two angels. But in the text, in the original language of the Bible, it does say... Two men. Now, I've always believed it was angels. But there is a good argument that this is two men that appear now and will appear again during the tribulation. Some people believe it's Moses and Elijah. Or Elijah and Enoch, because they never died. Just interesting. That has nothing to do with my message, but I just find that to be interesting. Two men stood by them in white robes. 
and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, whom was taken up from you into heaven. There's so many things significant about these words. You, not only the, the shock and, and the glory of Jesus ascending, but what are we going to do now that Jesus is gone? He's already told them all this was going to happen. But, but at the right time and at the right place, these men or slash these angels remind them of why He's ascending and what their responsibilities are. So, who was says, looking into heaven, this Jesus who has taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw Him go into heaven. By the way, I, I know they believe that. You can read the rest of the book of Acts and, and discover that they really did believe that, that they lived their lives accordingly. Verse 12 says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Um, verse 22, I, I just want to get into chapter 2, but pick up at verse 22. It says, Beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness of his resurrection. Now, this is just the end of the story when there were twelve apostles, then there's eleven, because Judas has killed himself. He, he betrayed the Lord. Jesus said he went to his own place. Peter says he goes to hell. So, so Judas died unsaved, okay? which is a shocking thing to think about that there's somebody that literally walked this earth with Jesus and saw miracle after miracle after miracle, but yet did not believe in Him as Savior, as Lord. Uh, so this is at the end, they're having to replace Him. It's interesting, some, one reason why they had to replace Him is because, to me, is because when you get to heaven, there's going to be twelve foundation stones and each has the name of an apostle that's already there it's already it's already there the neutral it's already there so we have to put a name there because judas is not one of them so look what that says and so you have to be with him you have to see the resurrection and so they've put forward two uh barsabbas uh son of the father bar son abba father so son of the father who was also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed, and they said, You, Lord, know... Here's another great thing to think about. You know the hearts of all. There's so many reasons why they were able to pray that way. But they pray. Now, they're going to cast lots, but they say, You are... Here's the word. You are the gnosis cardios. You are the heart-knower. Isn't that a great way to describe the Lord Jesus? As the heart-knower. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. So they say, Look, Lord, You know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two You have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots. Now, we don't do that anymore, but they did it then. It was very common in New Testament days. So they cast lots 
for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now we're 50 days after the resurrection. This is what's going to happen on the 50th day. When the day of Pentecost arrived. So that's part of During those 10 days, one of the things they did was they replaced Judas. Now it's the Feast of Pentecost. Let's look what happens. It says, And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Go to the upper room, it's what it's called. And divided tongues. You're looking at your Bibles. This is great Bible study. And divided tongues. Glossolalia. Okay? And divided tongues. And divided languages as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one, one of them. So all twelve guys got the dose, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages or in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, just quickly, I want you to notice that in chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, we learn about the Holy Spirit. And in chapter 2, 1 through 4, we learn about the Holy Spirit. But we move on. So, so it says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So there are Jewish people who had been scattered all over the world in Jerusalem that day. Now look what happens. And... At this sound. At what sound? At the sound that was part of all those disciples being filled with the Spirit that we just read. There was a sound. Look what... That sound was part of what their experience, but it did something else. Look what the text says. At this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue? Now, just briefly right here, this is, this is the reverse. When you think of biblical history and what we call a biblical worldview, this is essential. This is the reverse of something that happened in the Old Testament. What was that event in the Old Testament? This is just the opposite. Right, Tower of Babel. What did he do? He divided their languages and scattered them. Okay? It's a judgment. So... And, and you can read over there in Deuteronomy 32, it says, He divorced the world. That's what He did. He divorced all the other nations and He said, I'm going to make my own nation to worship Me. And He called Abraham. And there, eventually, from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the Jews. the twelve So the Jews, the Israel became His people. He divorced everybody else. And he, gave them, he gave them over to the angels. But then some of the angels fell and corrupted the nation. So for all those thousands of years... They're in darkness. If the Jews didn't tell them about the God of Israel, they didn't hear about it. 
That's why there's pagan worship everywhere. It still is. But now this reverses that. 2,000 years, that was reversed. The Spirit came. So, after Pentecost, just think about how marvelous this is. After the Feast of Pentecost, there was not a language on the face of the earth that had not heard the Gospel. Every language on the face of the earth, somebody speaking that language had heard the Gospel. And when they go home, because a lot of the Jewish males would stay for Passover and for Pentecost, because they were both required feasts for males, 20 years and older, had to be, were supposed to go there and worship. So they'd sometimes stay if they traveled a long way for those 50 days. So when they went back home, they had heard the gospel of God. Isn't that interesting? So God in one event sent the gospel literally all over the world. And so for the last 2,000 years, who's picked, up the, who's picked up the baton and run with it? We have. The church, which is called the body of Christ. This, listen, this is the call of God. This, this describes the significance of the church. Now there's three things. I've got um, 12 minutes. There's three things I want you to, to notice about this. But before, I want you to think about how important when you got saved, what God did when He saved you. Not only are you not going to hell, not only did He regenerate you and give you new life, He, your name was in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. He's preparing you a place. John 14. All those things are true. But there's something else that God did. God called you into the ministry. If The moment you got saved, you became a steward of the mysteries of God. Because lost people can't understand it. You do. And so God wants you to be in the ministry of sharing the gospel with others. Look what, look what Romans... You don't have to turn there. I'll quote it. Romans 11.29 says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irreversible. Think what he's saying. So when I got saved, not only did, did God save me from my sins... He called me into the ministry and He... And the ministry just means service. Most of the time the word ministry is the word serve. It's the, it's, it's the idea. It's not masculine. It's the word diakone. Servant. Deacon. But it's, it's not masculine. It's just neuter. So it's servant. Serving. So all of us are called into the ministry. We're servants. So God called me into the ministry just as a servant. Then He calls me to pastor or preach, whatever. But it says that, that He gifts me and that both those things are irreversible. My gifts and my calling are irreversible. So when you got saved, we know the Bible says you got you know, at least one spiritual gift. That's what it says. Most of us got more than one. Combinations of different ones. The Bible says it's multicolored, multifaceted. Uh, the word orchestra is used. Uh, Multicolored is used to describe how God blends all. They're not all the same. We can't pigeonhole all of them. But there's just a multitude of spiritual gifts. You got at least one. And it's to be used in the body for other believers. Folks, that's irreversible. The gifts and the calling of God are irreversible. Hear what Romans 8 says For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Christ might be the firstborn among many that are going to be like Him. And those whom He predestined, He also called. Now that is kaleo. It is talking about the calling of salvation. He calls us. 
but it's also talking about the call in salvation. And those whom He called, He justified. And those He justified, He glorified. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, For God has not called us to impurity, but He's called us to holiness. 1 Peter 2 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His steps. There's a book that's written in His steps, comes from that passage. 2 Timothy 2.9, which is probably one of the most significant verses about our calling. Listen to this. 2 Timothy 2.9 says, talking about Christ's Sabbath, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace which He gave us in Christ Jesus. Then the rest of the verse before the ages began. Let me read that again. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the world ever began. Isn't that interesting? So now we've been called fleshing out what God ordained in eternity past. Three things I want you to notice. Number one, I want you to notice the essential place of God's Word. Now there's a whole different message I could give you. I love this because it talks about the proper men and the mess. All these things God lays out. Just But there's three major things you see in chapter 1 and 2 about this calling. What, what, what's, what are we involved in? Number one, it's the place of God's Word. And I go back to what I mentioned in verses 2 through 4, chapter 1. So, you know, Luke says that, you know, O Theophilus of what Jesus began to do and teach, teach, until the day He was taken up after He had given commands. So He spent those 40 days teaching Scripture. Okay? This is an example of what we're... Given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. He presented Himself, many infallible proofs appearing to them, and speaking about the kingdom of God. So folks, I mean, I can't overemphasize the significance in the Christian life. What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to be handling correctly? It's God's Word. It's what He left us. And here, Luke's just reminding us that those 12 apostles, many of them are going to be a part of writing the New Testament Scriptures we now have that tells us all about how Jesus lived. They didn't have it here. But it's going to tell us, this. the Gospels and the Epistles tell us about how to live the Christian life. And so right in the middle of everything that Christ was doing in those 40 days was He was teaching. That's what He was doing when the 500 people saw Him. He was teaching over in Galilee uh, where He gave the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he was teaching the Word and... If you go back and read, John deals, John's gospel deals heavily about what Jesus taught because, you know, the last, beginning in chapter 12 and 13, the rest of John's gospel deals with the last week of Christ's life. And it talks about all the things he, would be, all the things he was doing. John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. That's when he was on the, he was on the Mount of Olives, right across the street, right across the street, which is true, right across the street from Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. So, so folks, today I'm just going to encourage you. The Christian life 
is about God's Word. I was telling the men this morning and um, earlier that, I, and I mean this, I, I'm, not trying to be, I'm not trying to be pious or self-righteous. If you're here today, anybody that's a believer needs a good study Bible. And, and one of the things I'm big on, you know, I'm always trying to provide Bibles. Sometimes I provide study Bibles, but you need a good study Bible. Because they're t- even for me, and I have a whole library, but I don't haul that library around with me. Now, I know you can Google a lot of things, but I love books. And, and they can't take my Bible away from me. So, so, but if I'm at the house sometimes and I hadn't brought my resources home, I go get my MacArthur Study Bible. If there's, like if I'm not, if I can't think correctly about how, like for instance, earlier in the week I was th- or at the end of last week, I was thinking, how many times did Jesus appear on Resurrection Day? Well, I can remember a couple of them right off the top of my head. And then I was thinking, well, am I right chronologically? Am I th- so what did I do? I went and pop- popped open my MacArthur Study Bible. And what did MacArthur do? He listed some of those things that all happened in one day. Do you know the Apostle Paul used Mark Arthur's Study Bible? He had to be. So, so folks, I, I, don't, I, I am jiving and kidding, but... You need to be word-centered. You need to know what's in this book. And it's a shame. I am protected. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. You allow me to spend my life studying the Bible. Thank you. And I am protected. I don't have to get out there in the world a lot. But if you're trying to survive as a believer on one hour of worship, and I try to preach God's Word, but that'd be like eating for 25 minutes once every seven days and thinking you can be healthy. You have to become a student of God's Word. Where's your Bible? Are you marking your Bible? How many Bibles do you have? What book are you reading? Where do you read Scripture? What word are you interested in now? I mean, what, what truth stirs your heart? What doctrine do you love? God's Word. So number one, it's about God's Word. Then number two, quickly, we got a couple. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's, look at your Bibles. It's great because it tells us all the Spirit does. Now, it doesn't, it's not as exhaustive. Now, Jesus says a lot in John 14, 15, 16 about the Holy Spirit. But look what He says in verse uh, look 4 and 5. He says, because he tells us the two major things the Spirit does. Okay, The Spirit saves us. He applies salvation. Right. So when you repent and believe in Jesus, Jesus saves you, but how He does that is the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, comes and just overwhelms you. The Bible uses the word baptize. At salvation, you're baptized by the Holy Spirit. That means the Spirit of God dumps you in all that Jesus accomplished and He's yours. That's, that's what it's talking about. That's why we don't sprinkle. We immerse because I got it all. It didn't just drip on my head every once in a while. I got all of Jesus, all the kingdom, all the promises. Is in Jesus. So, so he says right here, For John baptized with water, verse 5, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, for the apostles, it's a little different because it has to be a public event for the people to recognize their God's. He, their, he, 
He's chosen these men to be my representatives. I mean, this is, this is a different dispensation. It's kicking off a new dispensation. So these people are baptized. Look what it says in verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. And it's exactly this biblical worldview. It starts where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the world. And really, God's going to accomplish that in one sermon at Pentecost where all these people from all over the world hear the gospel in their own, in their own language. Look what, look what he says uh, in chapter 2. So you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, but then verse 2 says, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Now, folks, I don't experience this every day. Pentecost was for the apostles, but what the Spirit did, He baptizes people in the Spirit, that's salvation. But look at verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians 5. Verse 18 says, be filled with the Spirit. But it reads, uh, Ephesians 5, reads literally, be being kept filled with the Spirit. So, the feeling to be filled with the Spirit, you can be less filled with the Spirit some days and more filled with the Spirit. Now, you're indwelt by the Spirit. He seals you. When you're baptized by the Spirit, that's part of the sealing. He baptizes you and He seals you in your salvation. But the feeling of the Spirit is when I surrender more of me to Him than other times. And the more I surrender myself, I crucify, give up myself, whatever you want to say, dedicate myself, commit myself to whatever. Less of me, the more of Him, the more I'm filled with the Spirit. And the more I'm filled with the Spirit is the more power and obedience I display. So, so there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, salvation, and then there's the filling of the Spirit. By the way... Um, a couple of things to think about is when you think about being filled with the Spirit, um, one of the best illustrations I've ever read, and this, I'm a simpleton, but this helps me. It reminds me of what I read, and it's a great illustration. Is, you know, um, Alka-Seltzer. When you drop those two or one, whatever, in effervescence, isn't that what they say? Which I can't even know what that is, but I think I do. You drop those Alka-Seltzer tablets in that water, right? And the Spirit, the Spirit, I'm sorry, the the fizz, it feels, well, when when, when the Spirit comes, he He wants to completely fill all of us, but there has to be none of me in there. So the less of me that's in there, the more the Spirit. So it, you might almost want to say it's like the idea of being, of permeating, right? It permeates me. Being filled with the Spirit is also much like uh, the Bible, Paul, uh, Peter uses this word. It's pressure. It's the idea of pressure or pushing. Uh, you've been led by the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, like um, the other day God impressed upon me to say, to witness to somebody, you know? And, and so. Um, he, You've been there, and so he pushes me. You know, it's a pressure. Uh, Peter says, uh, "Men carried along by the Spirit." It, it, it's, the word was wind in a sail, it's, and so God does. And so, part of being filled with the Spirit is is permeating, but also it's it's him pushing, pressuring. You feel the you call it being. I was led by the Spirit, right? You can say that. So, so 
So two things we know. I, I know I'm out of time. That's what I know. Uh, there's something else I know, and I'm going to share it with you. So number one, the essential place of God's Word. Number two, the equipping of the Holy Spirit. But number three, I just want to use one little phrase. Look at chapter 1, verse 25, and we'll close with this. I love this phrase. I've really never noticed it before. Verse 25 says, this is where they pick Matthias or, or Barsabbas, and it says, to take the place in this ministry. In this ministry. Folks, for 2,000 years, folks just like me and you, all over the world have been being saved by the grace of God. Having our hearts transformed, our lives metamorphosed, the Spirit of God not only sealing us for the day of redemption, but filling us with the Spirit and the power of Christ and tells us to go out into the world and be Jesus to the world. That's what we've been doing for 2,000 years. This is the ministry. Anything outside of that, you compare anything to the ministry for Jesus and you're wasting your life. These things are... We're talking about eternal things here. This is the church. The church, me and you, it's about the Word, it's about the power of the Spirit, and it's about the ministry. Is that what your life's about? Think about that. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your grace and mercy. Oh, God, thank You for the church. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank You. Thank You that wicked sinners like myself can be saved, redeemed, called, and can be used by Jesus Christ. Father, thank You that we're many members, but we make up one body. And thank You that this body... Does, we don't waffle around because we have a head and the head of the church is the Lord Jesus. God, may we hear His Word and do His Word. We love You and thank You in Jesus' name. Amen.